The stories that they tell through their music are the stories that you and I and you know seven billion of our friends on this planet. We live those stories every day, and that's what makes this kind of music relevant. That's renowned conductor and violinist Scott Yu, who travels the world highlighting different aspects and stories about classical music on PBS Primetime's brand new season of Now Hear This. We sat down to talk about the brand new series that dropped this month. I'm Melissa Green. Welcome to a new episode of Heart of the Arts. Um, now in its fourth season, PBS is now here. This series has dropped a new season this month. And here in the Valley, we're joined by the host, renowned violinist, and the chief conductor of Mexico City Philharmonic, Scott Yu. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a complete pleasure, Melissa. Thank you. Yeah. Congrats on a new season. It's beautiful and it's so moving. You know, you've been hosting. Well, thank you. Yeah. You've been hosting since season one and you've got to investigate really cool stories behind Baroque composers like Handel and Vivaldi, the instruments like the Stradivarius, folk music across Europe. Do you ever just kind of ask yourself, wow, th- this is uh, this is life. What a what a gig this is for me, huh? This is the ideal um, the ideal gig for me um, insofar as I, I consider myself to be an experienced collector. And uh, the experiences that you collect when you film a, a television program like that, and hopefully yeah. for the audience to to collect them watching, uh, the audience has an advantage because they don't have to sit around and wait for the lights to get set up or the sound to get set up. Um, you know, it's really fun to um, be eating steak in, in Buenos Aires one day and then suddenly be in, in Crown Heights, New York, uh, with a bunch of the world's greatest steel pan players like in, in a different week. It's it's kind of whiplash. Oh man, it it really is that just that dream. I, I don't even want to call it a job. It's that's what, you know, as musicians we get gigs. It's just like this uh I remember watching Rick Steves, you know, and I just love what you do. It's it's so beautiful. So this is on PBS Primetime. So it's giving a lot of exposure of classical music and so much more to a broader audience. Can you tell us a little bit about your professional trajectory and the events leading up to these series for um, those of us who who don't know what led you here? Sure. Um, that's very generous of you. Your preamble was extremely generous, uh, Melissa. Um You know, I run a festival in California called Festival Mosaic, and we have a a really rabid uh, fan base of of listeners and concert goers who, for some reason, feel like they, now I'm not saying they're correct, but they feel like they don't know much about the music they're listening to. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we started a series of what are called Notable Encounters, which are sort of a museum docents tour of a Brahms Pana Quartet or of a Mahler Symphony or what have you, you know, you know, really anything. Uh, in one of them, we compared Mozart's 40th with Beethoven's first. Um, then we'll do one on Foray's piano trio that's never played. Anyway, we did one of these uh, on tour. We went to uh, Austin, Texas, where 
one of my best friends, Bion Sang, teaches, and we did one on Brahms piano quartets. And I was making the argument that you could almost trace Brahms's life trajectory through those three his three piano quartets. You could you could almost see him grow up through those three pieces. And um, anyway, uh, the next day, uh, somebody uh, very tall walked up to me and said, hi, um, I really liked what you did yesterday. I'm Harry Lynch. and I'm a producer for PBS and we should make a television show together. And um, it was, you know, one of those very chance encounters at that talk that I gave. Actually, there were only seven people in the audience of which I knew four of them. Oh my gosh. And, and so I was a little crestfallen because it took probably a good solid week and week and a couple of days to to write that script up. But uh, it just goes to show you that you, you just have to give it your absolute best at every single you know occasion, whether there are 2000 people in the audience or seven. Yeah. Yep. Um, and so, you know, after I met Harry, um, uh, who's turned into uh, turned out to be a really uh, good friend of mine as well. Um, we we were shooting the pilot within a year, and then within a year and a half, uh, we were at PBS's mothership in Washington D.C. And then, you know, a couple of years after that, we were broadcasting season one. So the whole thing went really fast. Wow! It it didn't. Uh, I I don't think it was by chance. You're just like oh, just by happen chance. No, it it kind of seems like you were you were made for this kind of role. You just seem so in awe, and I think that's one of the greatest things about life is to be able to be in a state of awe as often as you can. You know, I one of the things I am in awe of is the disparity um, between two things, the supernatural ability of these composers to write great art music is unchanged. That That is, it's it was stunning before I started doing this program and it's still stunning. What amazes me is that these people led lives that you and I lead. Uh, they had they had the same problems we we do. They have money problems. They have problems in romance. Um, they have professional frustrations. They have doubts about the self doubt. You know the stories that they tell through their music are the stories that you and I and you know seven billion of our friends on this mm-hmm. planet we live those stories every day, and that's what makes this kind of music relevant and important. Because Mm -hmm. our stories are being told by people who are dead and uh, will will tell those stories as eloquently as anyone that is alive today. And and that's what I find amazing. It's just the the, the story has not changed. You know, it's Mm -hmm. the human experience is the human experience. Yeah. And in this series or, you know, in previous ones, too, it's people, you know, when they look at a beautiful insect or flower it's it's reflecting something they already you know feel or know about themselves so when it comes to classical music when you can put it in these settings like you mentioned Brahms and I'm thinking of the Schumann episode um that just came out and just how you can feel it you can feel it more I you know I totally agree with you Melissa the the last scene without giving away too much um for those of you of your listeners who have not seen the episode yet, mm-hmm. the last scene takes place in Schumann's apartment through house concerts. And so, you know, we we all took our shoes off, everyone in the, everyone playing and everyone in the crew, we all took our shoes off just out of respect for Schumann's house. And uh, you could almost feel that Schumann was sitting there just, just observing what was happening and, and then listening. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it's one thing to see it on the internet, 
Um, mm-hmm. But when you're actually making music there, that's uh, it's a very that's an unforgettable experience. Yeah, and you have some amazing musicians performing flawlessly. Uh, the music of Schumann, and and that specific episode is also geared towards mental health and right. and finding those connections as well. So and that's such a it's such an important topic in today's society. I mean, it's something we probably as humans have kind of neglected that part of health for millennia. Mm-hmm. And and to now we're starting to talk about things like depression and and anxiety and and things that that affect you know uh, if not a majority at least a plurality of humans yeah and um, so it's it's um, in some odd way it's it's reassuring to know that even a genius like Schumann or or Van Gogh you know had had their own troubles, you know, and, and that's what makes them human. It's what makes us human. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize that, you know, him having those mental health issues caused him or society, you know, he didn't rise to the top during his lifetime because of that. I mean, sometimes right. you read things and then you hear it again and you're like, oh, whoa, really? Yeah. I, it, it's amazing that um, in Schumann's lifetime, her his his wife Clara. Uh, sometimes they would call Schumann Clara Schumann's husband. That's how he was known. Wow. Um, which is, I mean, it, it's in some ways it's well deserved. I mean, Clara Schumann was one of the towering geniuses in music history. Uh, she's somebody we have to do an episode on in the future because she 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 was a giant. I mean, Brahms and Schumann. You know, opinion they respected most was Clara Schumann. Yeah, because they knew how good she was, and and you're talking about the greatest in the world saying, "No, this lady, she's the best," and and that's very inspiring. Totally, it's really interesting. All of the uh, stories you you get to learn, um, like in the Astor Piazzolla. So, how many of these stories or little you know nuggets of information are are brand new to you? And how do you get everyone together for a specific episode? Does that you know take a lot of work behind the scenes? That's uh, so much work. I I would say <laughs> it's almost a majority of the well. Yeah. A majority of the work is editing. Whenever you're doing any kind of a film project, the editing takes months, whereas the, the filming takes weeks. The director, Harry Lynch, also writes the episodes. And so he's the one who decided, okay, we're going to split the Piazzolla episode into four parts that correspond to the four movements of um, the history of tango, which I thought was a really clever device. Mm-hmm. And then he um, he basically talked to every tango expert. And, you know, luckily, one of the things we were very lucky to avail ourselves of was that we we got to talk to every major tang- Argentinian tango person. Like wow. there, there was nobody we did not speak to. Oh and so, gosh. you know, we, we, we found these stories that even are not written down, like uh, one of my, one of the people who appears in the episode, Eugenio Elias, you know, he he said, um, you know, people were throwing gasoline at Piazzolla out of, you know, in, in, in expression of outrage um, at, at what they consider to be sort of a defacement of Argentinian tango. And, you know, you you, you can't really find that on the Internet. That's just something he, no. he knew that was passed down. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I just feel like we really got it from the source. In the Schumann episode, we spoke with the world's foremost expert on Robert Burns. Robert Burns wrote Old Lang Syne and he was he's basically 
Scotland's Robert Frost, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, the national poet of Scotland. But he also suffered from some of the same mental health afflictions that 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 Schumann suffered from. And, and so we, what did we do? We spoke with the the world's foremost expert on Robert Burns, or we spoke with the one of the one of the foremost experts on Van Gogh. She's written two books on on the subject. So um, you know, it's been fun to to get really close to these composers by speaking with people who really, really know. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Um, so I wanted to ask a little, because you mentioned his name, the uh, director of the series. I wanted to know how your uh, friendship has evolved through this project. Well, you know, um, Harry Lynch is just a really nice person. Uh, he's <laughs> he's a very he's the only director, he's, he's the only master I've known, right? I mean, yeah. I, I've never worked with another director because I'm not a TV person. But um, the, the crew members said, hey, uh, you know, enjoy this, because if you ever work for another director, they're not going to be this nice. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, he's, he's the he's the guy who's gonna, you know, he's, he's the last one to, to look after everyone and make sure that we haven't left a, a cell phone charger or, you know, somebody needs help with a really heavy uh, Pelican case or something. He's just a very generous person. But um, mm-hmm. what's fun about Harry is that he is obsessed with art music. I mean, he is crazy about it. For him, this is both his work, but it's also his passion. Like classical music is his passion. And mm-hmm. so he, um, I think for him, writing sort of trying to get to the essence of what this composer, composer X's story is. It's work, but for him, it's like, it's, it's, it's a passion. And, and so uh, that kind of joy, I think really comes, comes out in the writing and it comes out in the episodes. Um, and, you know, we, we both really like a lot of the same things and uh, we both have sort of similar, similar minds in many ways. Um, uh, we're very focused people. And uh, so we worked well together almost from day one. That's great. Yeah, it, it definitely. Yeah. And the passion comes out in, you know, the show and, and the the scenery that's being captured. The cinematography is just really beautiful all around. And of course, you know, Spain getting to see the architecture and the part that I loved just because someone who studied classical guitar and who's seen Manuel Barueco in concert, um, I loved hearing uh, Asturias on the piano just because I hear all that stuff on guitar all the time and, and hearing it on the original instrument it was written for, and specifically by, uh, in this episode, I'm um, blanking on the name of the pianist. I know we've played him before, though. And Juan Perez, it, Juan Perez Floristan. Yes. And yeah, he's it's, really, he's it's a ins- real talent. It's insane when he's uh, playing that on the piano because it's, it's harder. Yes, to... it's harder. It's more idiomatic <laughs> on the instrument it wasn't written for, right? I mean, yeah. it, it was... It was inspired by the guitar, written for the piano, then transcribed back to the guitar. And I thought that was a very clever device by Harry to sort of show a pianist and guitarist in the same room talking Mm -hmm. about the same piece of music. That's that's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Albanies, one of the reasons we did an episode on Albanies, he's obviously not... Uh, a household name composer like Schumann or Brahms or, um, you know, Beethoven or Mozart or or any of the other composers we've covered on the series so far. Mm -hmm. But um, if there ever were a now hear this composer, uh, that person would be Isaac Albanese. Albanese would go to Sevilla and he would put his, he would unpack his bags and, and stay for a few months and absorb the culture and see eat the food, drink the wine. And mm-hmm. then he would write a piece and he'd call it Sevilla. Mm-hmm. And then he would go to Cadiz and he would 
settle down there for a little bit, absorb the culture, absorb the folk melodies of Cadiz. And then he'd write a piece and he called it Cadiz. <laughs> and so essentially for us, all we had to do was just follow his path. I mean, we just drew a little straight line and and uh, we just followed a path and, and we recorded Cadiz, rec recorded Sevilla, recorded uh, Granada, you know, it just was, it just was really fun. And, and as you know, you, you better than anybody would know this as a guitarist, their culture is steeped in that instrument. Yes. Yeah. You can't talk about Spain without it. No, you can't. I remember it was so fascinating learning how, you know, the guitarist follows the dancer and just, yeah, all of those great little things about that. Yeah. That deep, rich history with the guitar. It's so beautiful. Incredible. And and um, for those of, of your listeners who've never been to Spain, uh, I personally think it's the most underrated location in the world. I mean, I, I guess wow. it's not it's not that it's unknown, but but I, I think people don't understand how affordable it is to be there and how just drop dead gorgeous everything is. It's it's crazy. I've seen a few um, soloists lately that are really kind of bringing more conversation into their concerts, kind of stopping maybe between pieces or even movements to explain, explain the music or tell a story to help the audience relate and feel a little more connected. Have you seen that? Have you seen that kind of evolution lately? Or um, I know that I think so. I think so. You know, um, so many. Uh, performers. I mean, I guess it goes without saying that being a performer is being a, a communicator. But so many of these performers that that you see today are also maybe not coincidentally very smart people. So then maybe not coincidentally good communicators. And mm -hmm. so um, I think the more of that um, that we can do, the better. I think people forget that in Beethoven's day, um, people clap between movements. That was expected. Yeah. Right. And and if if there wasn't if there weren't clapping between movements and the composer were were there, they would think, what did I do wrong? I, do they not like it? And and now, of course, uh, if you're in um, you know Carnegie Hall and somebody claps between movements, you know you get shushed. And, yeah. And um, I I think that that kind of starch that you add to the to the art form is maybe not not constructive you know um of course there are yeah. some people who just want to hear music and 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 want it to be as compressed as possible but you know a lot of people do need to know that uh, things about the piece i need it i mean if i'm hearing a piece i've never heard i would love to know oh i wrote this because my father passed away and i was very upset and this was a way this was something that comforted me i mean i i for me that helps in understanding the music. Definitely. People in the audience, if they feel inclined to clap, then they should. They shouldn't feel inclined to give a standing ovation on the same hand where it maybe isn't. Like one of the most, you know, standing ovations were for these just like mind-blowing performances too, weren't they? I, I think so. I mean, um, I don't know. It, it's hard to know what happened, you know, a hundred <laughs> years ago. True. But 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 I I I think your your point is is well taken. That I think that we've built a lot of ceremony into um, a live art music, and you know, if we take some of that out, I mean, orchestras have stopped wearing, for the most part, have stopped wearing tails in in um, yeah. 
in concerts. And I think that's good too, because, um, you know, some people will go to a symphony concert. I remember I was going with some friends to, to a concert they'd never been before. And they said, wow, it looks like I'm looking at a sea of waiters, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I'm not sure mm-hmm. if those folks would have necessarily gone again because it's not something that put them at ease. Yeah. And, and we need, we need that in today's society. You know, everything is just packaged up so beautifully for everyone. You know, you can, you used to buy yogurt in a huge tub and now they, they have these little individual pouches <laughs> and, and they're, they're each for one serving. And, and, you know, they, that's how everything is done in society. And, and, yeah. you know, we, 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 in, we, in this business, you and I, and everybody else, we need to, we need to keep up with the times, I think. Yeah, that should be a, a an episode if you haven't done one that on that already. I love the yogurt reference. <laughs> so my next part is kind of like I think a lot of people like to ask how classical music is staying relevant, but because of being in the 21st century, I'm a little more um, glass half full with with you know uh, the digital age being a, a blessing, especially when it comes to. Um, series like this and being able to travel and record. So when people ask you, how are you inspiring younger generations? Conversations I have with people is kind of like you meet them where they are. And I'm wondering if you, what your thoughts on that are. And if there was a specific audience you had in your mind when you know, you you do an episode or a, a series of these. If you're, oh, we're we're reaching a broader audience. Is there any any images that stick out in your mind of who you're wanting to reach? I think that's a really wonderful question. So when Harry and I started this show, this was always going to be a mission driven show, and and the mission is relatively simple. It's to get classical music or art music on everyone's playlist. Mm, So we're not saying that, okay, you listen to hip hop, okay, throw all those tracks out Mm -hmm. and only listen to Beethoven and Brahms. No, we're not saying that at all. Yeah. Actually, we're saying continue to listen to what you're listening to now and add a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. add, you know, uh, Chopin Polonaise or add a Mozart piano sonata or whatever. It it Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Add a Schubert song. Just add a little bit of that to your diet because it's, you can't just have, you know, steak and mashed potatoes every night. You, you just, <laughs> life is no fun that way. You've, you've no. got to try, I don't know, when I was in college, I don't know when your first Indian food experience was, Melissa, but, but <laughs> when I was in college, mm-hmm. I had never been to an Indian restaurant before because my mother said, oh, no, you don't want to eat that. That's just, it's yucky. Yeah. And so anyway, my, all my friends, they were going to the Indian restaurant. Hey, let's go, Scott. Let's go. And of course, I was you know queasy. And I said, let's go. Great. I, I wanted to fit in. I, I wanted to be a part of it. So I, I went. And I, it was a revelation. I mean, eating naan for the first time and, and the Indian curries, how delicious those were and how they use yogurt. You know, I feel like every great work of of art music and there are thousands of 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 pieces that reach that threshold of greatness they're Mm -hmm. all like different they're it's all an indian food situation i mean these are friends that you make for a lifetime and and you know you're having a bad day you know uh you got a speeding ticket for three hundred dollars and you come home and you listen to the slow movement of the jupiter symphony and you're you know you're better off Yes, because that that music that music leeches out all of the sort of earthly unpleasantness out of your life. It, it, mm-hmm. It's it's not instant, but it's it's like a drug, mm-hmm. and it's just that people don't use it enough. So mm-hmm. I think that if we can empower people to to use this art music as a tool to have a better life, then 
I feel like we've done our job. Absolutely. People don't know yet that rice and potatoes can go so well together when you eat Indian <laughs> food or something. I, I think, I swear, I was in college too. I think it was a boyfriend who made me try it and I never looked back, which was, which was like classical music for me. I was kind of late to the party, but it was so beautiful and, and rich and fascinating that and now you, it, now you work in the field. So, I mean, it's mm -hmm. just goes to show you it's, there is no too late. Right. There is no too late. You're, you're a professional in the field and you started quote, you know, late to the party. Mm -hmm. There is no too late by no. definition. It's just, you come when you come and, and there's just a lot to enjoy and just, you don't have to eat the whole buffet. Just, just mm -hmm. try one little thing. Yeah. Oh, you like that? Okay, try that. Oh, you like, oh, you didn't like that. Fine, no problem. Then try this. And, <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's just, there's an ocean of stuff out there. It's an ocean. It it's is. Insane. It is. Since you get to see, I always like to ask artists, um, and you get to see so many amazing things, but if you had a day, a week, a month off, who would, what would you like to go out and see in your free time, whether it be an artist, musician, movie, a speaker? What kind of stuff do you do since everything else you do just seems so abundant? Uh, this is going to sound very um, dull, but if I had a month off, uh, what I crave most is to not travel. Yeah, no, I because get that. that's like for me, like days home are a real are at a real premium. Mm. Um, you know, I I um I accept engagements sometimes based on how many days away from home I have to actually be. Yeah, I bet. Uh, you know, and for example, um, my concerts with the Mexico City Philharmonic they go to Sunday, so if I can do another another week the week after but the concert is let's say a thursday and friday that's much more attractive than if the concerts for that next orchestra are on saturday and sunday because that's another that's another two days away from two full days away from home wow um and so um for me the the most valuable thing is being home that's yeah. i love that <laughs> yeah Oh, that's so beautiful. I could talk to you about this series forever, but I just wanted to, um, I wanted you to let our audience know what other plans you have for the future. Again, I, I don't want to say it seems like you, you do it all already, but what keeps you inspired so, and going? What are you looking forward to and, and where can our listeners find you easily access you is it social media it's they can find me on on facebook and instagram you know okay. i right now we are already shooting season five of now hear this oh that's amazing um, we all we always have to be about a year ahead because it takes it it's it's such a herculean task to, yes. to edit these 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 episodes um you know they're basically like short movies I've, and so yeah. they're just huge amount of work uh so we're we're um i'm playing a concert tonight and then tomorrow i'm going home then i'll be in mexico city for a couple of weeks and then we'll be going to, to new york and we'll be shooting an episode on child prodigies at the juilliard school uh mm -hmm. so that's going to be really interesting i think i'm going to meet be meeting a, a a composer who's eight years old or something like that oh and he's, my gosh currently He's a genius, and and oh. um, from what they've described, I, I'm kind of trembling in in anticipation of meeting this 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 astonishing little creature. Oh, um, and cool. we're, I'm going to meet like a ten year old pianist, and it's just going to be like really cute and really shocking all 
at the same time. Um, yeah. And then uh, we'll be shooting some scenes for another episode. And um, I'll be going to um, the festival in Colorado um, in June and then shooting some more. And then my own festival in, um, in San Luis Obispo, California, and then shooting some more. And so it's just always, there's either a shoot or um, music happening. Wow. Uh, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's very busy, but, but um, it's exciting. Well, congratulations on everything. I'm so excited to share your passions and, and all of your thoughts about this with our audiences here in Arizona. And just congratulations on such a such an amazing, beautiful piece of art and series. It just seems like it, you're just so perfect for the job. Well, and congratulations to you, Melissa, for for you know all of the great work that you do, and and oh, um, uh, you know you're you're such an easy person to talk to. It's uh, it's thank uh, you. it's very very inspiring to speak with you. So thank you as oh, well. Oh yes, of course. Well, congrats. We'll uh, hopefully be in touch and uh, talk to you again real soon. I hope so, Melissa. Great. Have a great weekend of performances, and thanks again. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> you bye bye. Bye, Scott. That's violinist Scott Yu, the host of the fourth season of Now Hear This, now available on PBS Primetime. You can find all the episodes now at pbs.org. For KBOX Heart of the Arts, I'm Melissa Green. Mm-hmm.